This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. I'm going to ask some people to look up some different verses and call them out. But first of all, Acts chapter 8 and the first three verses. So uh, chapter 7 has ended with the... Um, the murder of Stephen. Um, so the first Christian to die for his faith. And then in Acts chapter 8, it begins this way. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Okay, so uh, let's see who was paying attention. When Saul wanted to persecute the church and wanted to find the church, where did he look for them? In a house, in house after house. Now, of course, you could argue, well, that's because that's where they lived. But I think it's really interesting that it says he went from house to house looking for God's people. Why? Because I think he knew where to find them. Just look up a few verses for me. I'm going to call out a few verses. Um, in fact, give me, a, give, me a, give me a yes if you're going to look this one up for me. Acts 16.40. Yeah. Thank you. Romans 16 verse 4 and 5. Good. Thank you. 1 Corinthians 16.19. Yeah. Uh, Colossians 4.15. Thank you. And Philemon, uh, well, it only has one chapter, but verse two. Thank you, Pat. I thought for a moment nobody had the confidence they could find Philemon. Great. Okay, so let's just hear one after the other these, these verses. So first of all, Acts 16, verse 40. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. Great. Okay, so when, when Paul and Silas were released from prison, they went to the home of Lydia, and that's where they met the believers. Okay, so where did they go? Lydia's home. Okay, right. Romans 16, verse 4 and 5. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I am thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Also, give my greetings to the church that meets Greet my dear friend Ephesus. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. That's fine, sorry. I should have told you to start from verse 3. It would have made a bit more sense then. <laughs> sorry about that, Greg. Because it says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, and then blah, 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 and the church that meets where? In their home. So sorry about that. I should have given you one more verse. But we got the point. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 19. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. And so does the church that meets at their house. There we go. Colossians 4.15. Okay, Nympha and the church in her house. Philemon, verse 2. To the beloved Epaphras, 
The church in your house. Okay. Turn now, if you will, to Acts chapter 2. So one of the things I think we find as we look through the epistles, which is what we've been doing, is that the, the church seemed to be very much at home in people's homes. We had some, some people named. It wasn't just this kind of vague concept that the church meets in the home. It was the church that meets in this person's home and the church that meets in this person's home. Interesting that two of them were women and one was a, uh, a couple. And, and in Philemon too, it's a family. Well, that shouldn't necessarily surprise us, but just interesting that, that there's kind of, within the, within the early church, there are, um, there are women who have kind of their own households, their own homes, to, to the extent that they're able to accommodate the church in them. Kind of a continuing pattern a little bit from, if you, if you think of Jesus' own earthly ministry, where he had a bunch of blokes that went round with him and generally messed things up and got into trouble. And he had a bunch of women that went round with him who helped him out and supported him. I don't, I've, I don't know whether I'm overly paraphrasing the way it's recorded in the Gospels or not, but uh, uh, <laughs> see Chris is putting that through his theological filter. But, uh, um, but, but there doesn't, the, one of the things we find here is that, 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 there's, that we're not, there's no kind of distinction here. It's, it's, the, it's who's home. Just if, if you're going to make your home available, he'll use the home. Paul, before he even gets saved, he knows, if I'm going to find the church, they'll be in homes. Um, Acts 2 verse 42 uh, says this, and we know this, this passage well, I think, but it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came, up, became, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, for the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." And of course, the, the early days of the church in Jerusalem was an unusual situation because if we kind of read between the lines a little bit, we realize that, that in, in Acts 2, you find that 3,000 are saved and they're from all over the world. And as you get to the end of the chapter, you find that the, these from all over the world have, have formed this community. And we know from some of the other stories that people were selling property at distant places because they had effectively relocated to Jerusalem, So it was an unusual time. There were probably many hundreds, if not more, who were now living there but didn't have a home there. And they found a home in the homes of their brothers and sisters. And so although it was, a, but although it was an unusual set of circumstances that caused that, I think that that's kind of God at work to show us something about the nature of the church. That right from its beginnings, the church found its home in people's homes. They were at the temple... One of the reasons they went to the temple, of course, if you've ever looked at the maps that you have in the back of your Bible, you might have one of Jerusalem, and you'll see that the temple courtyard was the only significant open space in the whole of the city, and it kind of served as, as, a, as a meeting place and a marketplace, and you know, that was, obviously Jesus had some issues with the marketplace bit, but um, it was their kind of common place for meeting, so it, it kind of made sense, and we know the apostles taught every day at a place called Solomon's Colonnade, which was kind of in the... Um, on the edge of the temple. And the people would be there, 
And you'd imagine that probably they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching bit was done there where the apostles were actually teaching. But the, the breaking bread and praying and, uh, and, the, and, the, 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 um, and fellowshipping together and I'm sure that the kind of the outworking of, of how, you know, wasn't that a great sermon that Peter preached this morning? Yeah, what do you think it meant? <laughs> what do you think he was saying? And they, they, they talk about it around the table and they begin to digest the apostles' teaching as they're digesting their food together. And they realise that, that this simple meal, or maybe not such a simple meal that they're they're sharing just because, you know, it's dinner time and you've got to eat, that they remembered what Jesus had taught and they suddenly realised that, you know, this isn't just a natural meal, that when we sit together as, in the name of Jesus, when we sit together as believers, God sanctifies this and, and, and you know, we can take the, this, this bread and this wine and we can celebrate the new covenant. It was a very kind of real and organic and, and kind of, I, I love the way that, a lot of what happens in the book of Acts, some of it seems to just happen because it's the expedient way to do it or it's the easiest way to do it. But in that, you find that it establishes something that's, that's really true and important to the heart of God and what God wants to do. And so I'm sure that all the circumstances that surrounded uh, the, the early days of the church in Jerusalem were orchestrated by the Holy Spirit in order to produce something that God himself was after. And as you know, we're, we're now, we're just, we're ready to go next week with our first set of the life group meetings in our reformed life groups. And the reason I want to talk about being the church in the home today is to give that some context. The earliest patterns of, the, of church life was that the church was most at home in people's homes. And there is an, there is an experience kind of like a practicality around breaking the church down into smaller groups but in the expediency and the practicality we're also touching on something that I believe is really important to the heart of God because he sees his 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 church as a family but we're not just a family in this big sense of maybe you know if you're part of uh, some kind of big tribe that all has the same name you might kind of meet people from different places that you've never met before and realise your family. Well, that's great to have that connection, but God also wants us all to experience the reality of a family that lives together. Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Um, it's in the dwelling together that God commands the blessing. I can, be in, I can be in unity with a million and one people if we never have anything to do with each other because we never have anything to disagree about. But, but when I get down and live life with someone, that's where that unity becomes important. That's where kind of that connection becomes important. And the reality of family life begins to hit. And God wants, it says in the scripture, he sets the lonely in families. He wants us to have that place of belonging because it's out of that that he wants us to be really, really effective. Um, and I think one of the amazing things as we, we look through the New Testament scriptures is that, um, that God's house um, in the new covenant finds its place in our house. Um, and the, the word that the Greek language uses for house or home or household uh, is the word oikos. Okay, I quite like the sound of that word, oikos. Would you like to say that word with me? After three, one, two, three. Oikos, there we go. 
And it means house or household and by extension home. So all the, all the scriptures we read uh, all had this word in them and some said house and some said home. And I don't know if any of the ones we read said household but they would sometimes say that as well. Okay. And in the New Testament, this, this word is, is used to describe, uh, first of all, the tabernacle of David. So in Matthew 12 verse 4, uh, sorry, not even the tabernacle of David, the tabernacle of Moses. In Matthew 12 verse 4, it recounts the story of when David and his men were hungry and they went to the tabernacle and were given the bread from the table of, of, of the presence. And it says they went to the house of God. Then in Mark 17, Jesus is talking about the temple that's there in Jerusalem at the time, and he calls that the house of God, because he says, God says, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned the house of God into a marketplace. And that, again, it's the same, the same phrase, house of God. And then when we get to 1 Timothy, let's, let's look these ones up, because we're going to, pushing the limits of my ability to paraphrase and get it right, so... 1 Timothy 3 verse 15. Go from verse 14. 1 Timothy is really interesting because it's written to Timothy, but it kind of isn't, I think. It's it's kind of written to the whole of the Ephesian church that Timothy's been sent to sort out. And it makes so much more sense when you kind of have that framework. I got that from F.F. Bruce's uh, very well-respected um, commentary on the pastoral epistles. He says it makes much more sense if you think that it's written to Timothy, but the idea was everyone in the church was hearing what Paul was saying to Timothy so that they knew what he was there to do. Anyway, because otherwise people go, well, why did Paul need to say all this stuff to Timothy? He'd been hanging out with him. He'd been his kind of right-hand man for 20 years. Why would he need to kind of tell him all this stuff? And it makes so much more sense if you realise he's actually talking to the church. But anyway, so he's talking to us as well. 1 Timothy 3 verse 14. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that, you, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Household there again is oikos. This is how, this is how we should live. As family members, as the household, as the house of God, which is the church. Okay? So now the house of God, it was the tabernacle, it was the temple. And turn one more verse here with me. 1 Peter verse 4. Uh, Sorry, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. Oh, hang on. No, that's uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 5. I got ahead of myself. We might get to 1 Peter 4, verse 10, but 1 Peter 2, verse 5. We'll go from verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are being built into a spiritual house, a spiritual oikos, house, household. And of course, the imagery that Peter's using here is, again, it's of temple. So it's this mix of saying, when God talks about his temple down through scripture, today he's, he's talking about you. He's talking about the church. And the church is a household. And um, so I, some, I like words. 
And uh, I particularly like words that sound nice, like oikos. I think that's a, a nice sound. And then I, the, the, new, the, the Bible often works this way, that words that kind of are related to each other also kind of carry a related meaning. Okay, and that was a kind of a principle of, of, of how, in the time of Jesus, how the rabbis would interpret Old Testament scripture. And Jesus himself does this, and the New Testament writers do it as well. It's probably got a fancy name that I can't remember. But it basically means that if the words are the same, or if the words are related, then the ideas are as well. And so there's a couple of other words that are related to oikos in the New Testament. And uh, they are oikonomia, okay, oikonomia, and Oikonomos. Okay, I know it sounds a little bit like you're going through the IKEA catalogue, but <laughs> and so oikos means house, and oikonomia, when you read it in your Bibles, is most often translated plan. And you think, well, how is a house and a, and a plan related? And it's to do with it's related via the other word I mentioned, which is oikonomos, which is usually translated steward. Okay, and so the idea is this, that, 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 that somebody would be in charge of the house, not necessarily the house owner, but he would appoint a steward to manage. So there's this idea of management. And so, and, and so when Jesus tells parables and it kind of has a steward in it, he would be an oikonomos. And the New Testament then gives that title to a number of different people. Um, the first one is in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 1. It talks about apostles are stewards or oikonomoses, of the mysteries of God. That is, they've been entrusted with something. And if you remember the, Jesus' this parable, so like the, the parable of the talents, what does he expect you to do with something you've been entrusted with? Put it to work. Use it. Multiply it. Yeah? Um, and so, the, the, so stewards are those that, that take what God, the entrustment God has given with them and put it to work so it produces something. So that's apostles, they're called stewards of the mysteries. Elders in, one, in Titus 1.7 are called stewards of the church. Okay, they're, they're, they're involved in the household management of the church. That is making sure that this household, this house does what God intends it to do. And then in 1 Peter 4 verse 10, which I got you to turn to just now and we didn't read it, but if you turn there now, you'll find that we are called stewards of God's grace. And Peter is, the context here is that Peter is saying, whatever God has given you to do, whatever gifting he's given you, whatever grace he's given you, you need to be a steward of that. You need to put it to work and you need to ensure it produces what God intended. So we're all involved in this idea of kind of household management, whether the household is my own life, we were talking about last week, or whether the household is in or if the household is, is or the, the kind of the wider church that the apostles have this responsibility towards. And from that, and this is the one I wanted to get to, from that we get to this other word, oikonomia, which is often translated plan. If you can turn to he, uh, Ephesians 1. Um, we're going to have a look here. And again, I'm going to turn there because I feel my paraphrasing powers leaving me. Ephesians 1, verse 10. And again, we're going to back up a little bit. Verse 7. 
In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth." And this word plan is oikonomia, which is actually where we get the English word economy from, as in kind of like home economics, the idea of kind of the organisation. But here it's the plan or the administration, some of the older translations say. So God is saying, look, his whole plan and purpose, his will, what he's planned and purposed to do, when you get to Ephesians 3, it talks about it being God's eternal purpose, what God has always had in his mind to outwork on the earth. The whole reason he created, the whole reason he created you, the whole reason he sent the gospel in the world is to unfold his plan. And his plan is and the management of a house. That's one of the ways he's going to describe it. And so in the mind and purpose of God, this idea of house and households are really, really important. And in the wisdom of God, that this greatest idea that he's ever had, that, that you know, you can think well, God's ways are higher than my ways, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, I can't possibly understand these things. He says, but I want you to understand, and I want you to understand it's just like building a house. And I want you to understand it's just like building a house because you live in a house and you can understand. I want you to see the purpose of and the importance of a house. When they first built temples, and this was true across all kind of ancient Middle Eastern cultures, not just the, the uh, Hebrew culture, they, they, were, they were consciously building uh, something that represented the whole universe. That was, that was what a temple did. It was the whole of the cosmos represented in a, in a physical form. And that was called the house of God. And now we're called, we're the house of God. And you know what? We live in houses. And, and God wants us to make that connection to say, the reason I want my church to be at home in houses is because I want you to realize your everyday life, your every, you're getting up in the morning, you're doing what you need to do through the day, the people that you welcome into your house, the other houses you go in, it's all connected to my eternal purpose. It's all connected to what God is doing in the earth. It reaches down, it filters into every part of our lives. It's not just something that happens in the temple courtyards. It's not just something that happens in a Sunday morning. The purpose of God reaches and touches every part of our lives. And God says, just like with Solomon's temple, when Solomon prays in Second Chronicles chapter 6, one of the things he prays, he says, now everyone will know where they can pray to and where they can find God. And that was amazing and that was the most glorious building that had had been constructed until that point. It was just breathtaking. And it represented the the dwelling place of God on earth and where you could find him and where you could pray towards and where you could come. And and, and obviously all the the, um, sacrifices were made so your sin could be forgiven. Some kind of connection with God could be maintained. And it was going to be a house of prayer, not just for the nation of Israel, but for all nations. But for all its wonder and all its glory, it was just one place in the whole earth. There was a disconnect between most people. But you know what Jesus does when he comes and he brings the gospel and he draws us into his plan, his purpose. He says, now you are, each one of you, the house of God, temples of the Holy Spirit. When you come together, you are coming together as a temple being built out of living stones. And every place you live 
is now a place where this world can come and meet God, can come and find the presence of God. Where you live is part of God's plan. It's a, it's a strategic part of God's plan. One of the reasons as we've reformed the life groups is to try and give them a geographic is so that it's, we, we can begin to reach communities. That for those of you who are already reaching the communities around where you live, that that can be supported and strengthened. Why? Because if that's where God has put you, yeah, where he puts you, he wants you to put down roots and he wants you to bear fruit. He wants you to be fruitful where he's planted you. We believe we are the planted of the Lord. And we know at one level that's to do with our salvation and we've now been planted in his. But it does mean as well, I believe, that there is a, a, um, a, that where we, can, we can believe that wherever God has put us, wherever he's provided a home for us, he has a strategy, he has a purpose in us being there. And that purpose is going to be to do with building his house, with extending his kingdom, with engaging with his eternal plan. So where you live is strategic to God's plan. Believe that God has planted you there to bless the people around you. So um, you've probably heard me tell this story before, um, but I, I met many years ago, I met a, a young man in India who, um, when he, before he came to Christ, he and his family had been incredibly poor because the piece of land they owned was unfertile and nothing would grow on this piece of land. And when they came to Christ, and he said specifically when they began to learn the principles of tithes and offerings, something happened to the land. It suddenly started to produce. It suddenly became productive. And where they'd sown things before and it hadn't worked, now when they, when they sowed seed, it grew and it bore, it bore fruit. The, the fruit trees began to give fruit where they hadn't given fruit before. The, the land began to give crops like it hadn't given before. And in India, farms can be pretty small places. They can maybe just be something like the size or twice the size of this room. It's basically a field. And this was an amazing testimony to the people that lived around him, that God was doing something. But you know what he told me as well? He said, he said the thing is, it didn't stop at the boundaries of our property. That actually, that, that all my, my Hindu neighbours... Anyone that had a property that touched our property, their land began to become fruitful as well. Isn't that amazing? And now there's, there's you know, where, where they live, there's a, there's, there's, a, there's a big church there now that I think usually meets still on that land. Um, but I think that's a wonderful picture of what God said. Where I plant you, I want you to be a blessing to those around you. That actually the blessing I'm going to pour into you the homes around you, is going to make a difference to those around you. Is that how we view our homes? Do we view our homes as a, as a place, as a source of the life of God? Do we view our homes as, as a place where there's a tangible, noticeable difference in our home because the kingdom of God has come to this place? What does Jesus say to um, Zacchaeus? When he goes into his house, it's really interesting. Jesus, it seems to me, Jesus doesn't preach the gospel in words at all to Zacchaeus. Not that what we would discern as the gospel. He may have done, but it's not recorded in the scripture. What he says to him is, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm coming to your house. That's the only, that's the only narrative we get from Jesus. And then Zacchaeus has this uh, complete 
repentance, change of heart, and he makes his confession about what he's going to do to put right all the things he's done wrong before. And Jesus says to him, today salvation has come where? To this house. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say today salvation's come in your heart. He says today salvation has come to this house. Why? Because when there are men and women who are, who are sons and daughters of the kingdom of God, the place that they live takes on a different atmosphere, takes on a different uh, context. Because we know Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not about geography. It's not territorial. But you know where, in the place that God has given me, whatever is under my authority is going to have an increasing uh, amount. It's going to have the qualities of his kingdom. Kingdom is easy to describe. Paul says it's righteousness. In the Holy Spirit, the psalmists and the prophets talk about uh, justice and righteousness are the foundation of your throne. These are, these are kind of quali- tangible qualities. I love the uh, righteousness people gone through as well. It kind, of, it kind of tells you that the default atmosphere of, of the kingdom ought to be joy. Because if you lose your joy, it's probably because you've lost your peace. And if you've lost your peace, it will be because you've lost your righteousness. Either because you're at odds with God or you've, you've done what Jesus repeatedly tells us to do and worry. He says, don't worry. Don't lose your peace. Because actually the only thing that should be able to take your peace away, and then it's a very helpful thing that your peace goes, is that you've sinned against God. And if you've sinned against God, the fact you're not at peace is actually God's grace to you because it helps turn you around and go back and, and, and repent and get things right. But when those things are done, at the default atmosphere of the kingdom is joy. Joy isn't the same as happiness, is it? Happiness is often an outward expression of joy. But you can, you can be in mourning. You can be, you can be in, a ter- in, you know, in, in, a, in a difficult time and still know the joy of the Lord. You may not be laughing. But actually, you say, there's, no, there's, there's, but within me, I know, ultimately, it is well. It's well with my soul, like the hymn says. That can't be taken away from me. And that's, that's the place that God wants us to live. That's the kind of thing, that, that's the kind of quality that our homes are, are designed and destined to have. And so the early churches, Paul and the other apostles would go around and they would, they would, they would see people come to Christ. They would see people make um, confessions of the Lordship of Jesus. And where would they gather them? They would gather them in someone's home. And when you, particularly when you look at some of the qualities of the people where the church met in their home it's interesting Lydia for example is she's first of all she's she's the first convert she's the Christian okay or the first convert to, to Christianity in Europe but she's generous and she opens her home so it's this generous uh, attitude that she has and she remains a very significant character within the church in Philippi um, Priscilla and Aquila uh, this couple, this wonderful teaching ministry that they have, where they can even they can even improve on the understanding of the scriptures of Apollos, who's who is this fantastic preaching apostle who is able to persuade people from the scriptures, and that means the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. But but there's some things missing in his understanding, and they they take him as they don't rebuke him in the in the meeting. They don't kind of get up and bring correction. They take him into their home. And they teach him more of, 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 of the truth of the gospel. You've got um, 
in Philemon, you've got Philemon and his family and the church that meets in their home. And Paul has a lot of great things to say about the whole family. But, but he, it's a fa- here's a family that he knows they've, they've, first of all, he says, you know, I, you, you, well, not first of all, he reminds them, you owe me your life. I presume, he, I presume that's a reference to the fact that he led them to the Lord. But he has no problem in supposing upon them, not just for their hospitality, not just for their generosity and their support, but also that they will forgive and accept as a brother a slave who'd run away from them. Um, and, um, and, and, but he can, he can kind of make that a presumption upon them. The character of these people, and the, the kind of characters that these people had, you can imagine those are the kind of characters that you want to see replicated in in other people's lives and when people come into your home they're coming into the house the spiritual house to be and and the and into the place that you're the 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 atmosphere and, and the house that you yourself are are crafting and creating so where you live and your home is part of god's plan to reach your community, to be a place where the church comes together and grows, and to be a visible and reachable expression of the house of God, somewhere people can come, just like they could with Solomon's temple. And the final thing I want to say is this, that God, it's his desire all the way down through the scripture to be a God who dwells with his people. And so our homes and the groups that meet in our homes should be places where people can encounter God because God lives here. He's not just a visitor. Yeah? He says, um, you know, now the dwelling place of God is with men. You know, visitation is a wonderful thing, but God wants to go beyond visitation. If we live our relationship with God as one of visitation, we'll always be looking for where's the next conference, where's the next meeting, or maybe, the, maybe if the band plays really well this morning, I'll, I'll feel something of the presence of God. Um, and those kind of encounters can be great, but God doesn't want to li- us to live from visitation to visitation. He wants us to know that our lives and our homes have become his habitation. Paula read the scripture, Psalm 91, this morning. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. There's a living together. And so as we relaunch our life groups, um, just in case you missed any of that, the, um, if you missed your email this week, check your inbox. If you didn't get it, maybe you're not on our distribution list, you can email the church office, uh, info at citychurchcomtry.org and say, please add me onto that. And you will get that. But, but this, is, this is basically where we're going. We've got uh, four life groups launching week after next. Uh, Tuesday group is going to be led by Simon and Lottie. And will have its primary focus across the south of the city. Wednesday is going to be in Earlston. And Ruth and I will be leading that one. Although just to give you a heads up, we will be looking for people within the group to come and take on the leadership of that as soon as possible. Um, so <laughs> you have been warned. Um, Thursday, Adam and Karis are going to lead a group in uh, the northeast side of the city with a focus into Wyken and Stoke and those surrounding areas. And within that group, there's a little kind of embryonic group of people that live 
just across the other side of the M6 into North Warwickshire. And Chris and Jacqueline are going to be taking that kind of uh, small group once a month and beginning to look to make an impact into that area there as well. And then on Friday night, Ben and Charlotte are going to be leading uh, a group that isn't geographically focused, but is more life stage focused. I can see Ben there. And uh, meeting as families, including the kids, um, and, and looking to reach other people in that same kind of demographic and life stage. And then, of course, we've still got pursuit going on on Sunday night. And particularly for those that are kind of uh, of a younger persuasion, <laughs> uh, I know already at the last meeting they were talking about how are we going to how are we going to be reaching out. We do want to encourage e- those that are, even those that are really um, active and regular in pursuit get involved in one of the life groups as well if you can. We understand it's not always possible, particularly for people with student lifestyles and and uh, demands on them. But whatever we're doing and whatever we're meeting, and I'm and I'm thrilled to hear kind of three or four people over here that are meeting regularly and doing something, praying together or going and doing these various activities. Wherever we're coming together, here's the thing, here's the thing we need to realise, that life groups is, is the church. Okay? That, that three or four of you meeting up to pray together, that is the church. Okay? That, 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 there, there is no... Um, distinction in the scripture between the setting and whether or not God considers it to be the church so when we meet in our homes we are the church and if you want a kind of a template for what that means go back to Acts 2 42 yeah what did they do well they 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 devoted themselves to the apostles doctrine the uh, breaking of bread to fellowship and to prayer Okay, that's going to be quite a packed meeting. Don't try and do all four of those. But you know, it kind of gives you a frame. It's very simple. You know, the, the life of the church is very simple. It will revolve around these things. And, and it also created a context back in Acts 2 that God added to their number every day those that were being saved. And God wants to add into the life groups. God wants to add into pursuit. God wants to add those that are being saved everywhere that the church is coming together. Now, for some of us, we've got to slightly switch our mentality, our thinking. One of the things we've said to the group leaders is, let's plan. Remember when Kerry was with us, he said, hold a, a, an outreach activity every month. Now, if we try to do a big outreach activity every month as a church, it's probably all we'd manage to do in the year. But if we say to the life groups, Plan to have three times in a year where you're going to find a way of reaching out to people, either in your community or in the, those that, that are your, in your kind of networks of friends and family. Suddenly that becomes much more realistic. And it gives us, it helps us understand that the context of the early church, the context of the meeting in their homes, the context of Acts 2.42 wasn't to be insular and inward looking. But actually this was part of God's strategy of how he was reaching out and the gospel was being preached. And just in case you think, might that not get a bit weird? The answer to that is yes. And have a look at 1 Corinthians 14, 24 with me, just to see. Now, remembering that the church pri- churches primarily were meeting in people's homes. So that's our context here. Paul is talking about 1 Corinthians 14, 24. Paul is talking about how they conduct themselves and how to do spiritual gifts in an orderly manner and it says this in verse 24 uh actually let's go 
from 22. It says, so tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for believers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, that's my key bit here. Paul's expectation is that in worship gatherings, there will be people that don't know Jesus. There will be outsiders, there will be unbelievers. He says, um, and if they come in, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all, and the secrets of his hearts are disclosed. So he'll fall on his face and he'll worship God and declare that God is really among you. Now, it's a kind of a weird little passage because he seems to get his tongues and his prophecy the wrong way round in the way he's making his argument, although he doesn't, and we can talk about why that's the case another time. But here's the point. Paul's saying, first of all, I'm expecting that in, when the church comes together, whether it's a big gathering or a small gathering, there are going to be outsiders, there are going to be unbelievers that come in. And some of the things you do will make them think you're mad, and some of the things you do will cause them to have this life-changing encounter with God. That suddenly they've heard something that goes, this, just like the, the Samaritan woman at the well when Jesus says, go and fetch your husband. And it was, it was like an arrow that cut right into her because it got to the issue. I don't believe that Paul is saying our expectation is that there's a visitor in and suddenly somebody stands up and prophesies every sin they've ever committed. And they fall down on their knees. No, it's, it's, uh, the Holy Spirit can work in a much more subtle ways than that. <laughs> that actually something that's said, something that's shared, something that's prayed, a scripture that's read, becomes in the hands of the Spirit of God, something that reaches right in and someone goes, I know this is true. I know what you're saying is true. I know this message must be true. Because nothing other than God could have just cut in like that. And that's in our homes. And that's in our small groups. And that's as we gather together. And that's in our everyday life. God's house is being revealed into this world through your house. Not just because individually we're temples, corporately we're the spiritual house of God, but because he wants there to be places, homes, where neighbourhoods, friends, family, neighbours, workmates can come into a place and find this is a place where God acts. And that's what he's got for us to do. Wonderful. So I want to encourage you um, as the groups begin to meet. Uh, first of all, raise your expectation. Like Chris was saying last week, lift, uh, week before last, lift up your eyes. God wants to give you a fresh vision and insight of this. Raise your expectation. Forget the former things. Don't get stuck in, in old routines and patterns. And embrace a wonderful opportunity that God has given us to see our, our streets and our neighbours and our communities reached for the gospel and for people to come into a living encounter with their Heavenly Father. Amen. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.